Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that your Spirit, who inspired the words of God that have been put into print, might make them come alive for us this morning. That they might become your word to each of us. Not just words in a book kept for all these years, but your words to us. And Father, we just confess as a congregation, we submit ourselves to you and to your word. And Father, here's a word of yours that we're relying upon today. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. Father, we do. We want nothing to do with him. We want him to have nothing to do with us. We resist him simply by trusting in you. And your word says he will flee. And so, Father, we believe your word. We believe for these moments ahead of us right now, that this is a, a, a room, this is a house of God, this is a place that's a devil-free zone. So we take a breath, a spiritual breath, and open our hearts to hear what you say to us without any fear of being challenged by the enemy of our souls. We open our hearts to you, and your spirit has full access. We praise you for this now, Father, as we look into your word for us this day. We thank you for it and ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today in this communion meditation, I want us to consider one of the toughest things that born-again believers need to learn how to handle. Now, we could probably take all day to do this. If it's the toughest thing, it probably takes the longest message. But we only have a, a brief amount of time today. And God's Word is so clear on it that I think He can just pin His truth to our hearts and minds, even though we're talking about one of the toughest things that you and I as followers of Jesus Christ will ever need to learn to handle. You see, all believers need to learn how to handle doubt. I'm talking about doubting God, not doubting whether you're going to get an A on the test or doubting whether or not you're going to get that promotion at work that you're, you want to you wanna believe you're going to do it, but you kind of doubt. You, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about doubting God. Doubting the truth of God's word. Doubting that you've made the right decision when you decided to give your life to Christ and follow him. Those are the doubts that God cares about. They're the doubts that can derail us. They're the doubts that if we don't learn to handle them, we just have a very troublesome life. James 
the brother of our Lord, James was writing to people who would just naturally be prone to doubt, to doubt all those things I just mentioned. The people James was writing to in the book of James, this short little letter, they were refugees from their homeland. They had fled, perhaps with no more than the clothes on their back, and perhaps with the few things they could carry on their back. They were the persecuted, scattered members of the once glorious Jerusalem church. For years they had been right there in the holy city, Jerusalem, thousands of them, praising God, listening to the apostles' teaching, taking in that teaching, passing it along, rejoicing as more and more and more Jewish people were coming to faith in Christ. It was a glorious experience until the persecution broke out and they all had to flee for their lives. James, their chief elder, the brother of the Lord Jesus himself, had been moved by the Holy Spirit, as all the writers of Scripture were. He had been moved by the Holy Spirit to write a letter of encouragement and instruction to them as they were facing dire circumstances. Some of them had already died. All of them were threatened every day of their lives. And James writes to them, facing the circumstances they are in. Last week, we looked at the very first thing James said to them. They just begin this letter that he wrote. He identifies himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. And then in the second verse, he says this to them, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of various kinds. Consider it pure joy. First thing he said to people who were facing incredible trials. I doubt that very many of them were reacting to their various trials in that way. They probably were stunned to read those words James had written. Now, James, of course, in the verses we looked at last week, explained to them that God would bring something very good out of those trials if they would courageously endure them. James explained that those trials would develop perseverance in them. And ultimately, God would reward them, he said, with the crown of life, the ultimate well done from the Heavenly Father himself. So James was saying, look at your trials from God's perspective and rejoice that you can win his commendation by enduring them. Now, that was the spirit-inspired truth that James shared with them. However, I would believe, because these people were just like us. Human beings with flawed natures who can not always just be right dead center on the straight and narrow. So I believe it was a truth that probably did not immediately sink in. Some of them might have doubted that James was in his right mind when he wrote that. Some of us might doubt 
James right along with them. We might hear that verse we looked at last week, the one I just read, count it all joy, and we might say, really? Really? Most of God's word, or at least a good bit of God's word, makes sense. But really? Count it all joy? And so I would say James immediately, knowing how people are, knowing how he probably had to battle with some of this very kind of initial reaction. What is God doing? My glorious church. I have thousands one week and the next week there's hardly anybody even here still in the city. James immediately then addressed the fact that some of them, and maybe most of them, might be failing to see the wisdom of what he had just written. And yet his words came directly from the Lord, the God of all wisdom. Now, if the people could not see them that way, if they doubted the truth of what he wrote, then obviously they would never take to heart what he said. They would miss the point and miss the blessing. So here's what James wrote next. It's today's key scripture. begins with verse 5 of James chapter 1. James says, if any of you lack wisdom. Now, we've got to understand the context here. This is not just a verse to take out of the Bible and, and say, if you lack wisdom here, lack wisdom there, lack wisdom somewhere else, if there's stuff you'd like to know about that you don't know about. No. James is saying, if any of you lacks wisdom in this very matter that I just shared with you, if you can't wrap your mind around this truth that I just shared with you, it's a contextual thing. So keep that in mind. If any of you lacks wisdom in this matter, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. To say, oh, Father, I just can't understand what James is saying here. It doesn't make sense to me. I know he kind of explained how in the long run, the big picture, you know, all of this is true, but, oh, God, would you help me just accept this, receive it, understand it somehow. James says, if any of you are having trouble accepting God's wisdom, God's truth, particularly the big truth I just started this letter with, just ask God for it. Because God loves to give wisdom that is insight into his word. And he will give generously to anybody who asks. You pick up your Bible and begin to read it, and you find things that, you know, you're not quite getting. Say, oh, God, help me understand this. God would say, man, I've been waiting a long time to hear that prayer. He gives. James says, generously. He gives by his Holy Spirit who enlightens us, who informs us, who even motivates us. And it will be given. And now comes James giving them a little bit more insight here. But when you ask for wisdom, that's what he's talking about here, but when you ask for wisdom, you must believe and not doubt. 
Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. See, doubting can cause you to miss the wisdom that God would give you. Just picture it this way. Picture you're out in the ocean. Those who are doubting are like they're in the ocean and the waves are passing them one way and then the other way up and down and all over the place and God is on the yacht right there and you're calling for a life preserver. Well, you're going left, you're going right, you're going back, you're going forward, you're going under, you're coming up and, and somebody tosses you a life preserver. What's the chances it hits you? I know in movies it always does. But when you think about it, you're just tossing them a life. God is tossing you some wisdom to understand the situation you're in, but you're so filled with doubt, you're like you're being buffeted by the waves of the sea, and if God pitches it your direction, the chances of it hitting you are slim and none. That's the picture James is painting here. James writes like a Hebrew he writes like Jesus gave parables. And so you see yourself as a doubter. You're just out there being blown one way or the other. And, and it's almost like God is saying, well, where should I throw it? Where are you at today? That's what doubt does for us. It makes us an ever-changing target that is harder and harder to hit by anyone. So when you ask... Don't do that. Believe. A person who's believing is on a calm sea. They're not being blown around by everything that's coming along. The wind has stopped. The waves have broken down. You're on a calm sea and you're right close to the boat. You say, oh, Father, I need some wisdom. And he just tosses it over the edge to you. you get the life preserver hits you right smack in the head, surrounds you, and he pulls you in. Mission accomplished. But doubters, doubters are not like that. He's almost saying, even God can't give wisdom to a doubter. And so James goes on and says that. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Now, anything. He's talking about a very specific thing, right? Insight, wisdom, understanding. That person who's doubting and is blown all over the place and every day thinking something different, he shouldn't think he's going to get any final answer, satisfying answer, stabilizing answer from the Lord. Because such a person is double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Now, that's a scripture that's fairly familiar to a bunch of us, probably all of us, but we've got to understand it's, it's about, it was stimulated by a particular situation, a particular piece of truth that is going to be hard for people to receive. And so James is now giving some counsel how you come to grips with this truth of God. Today I say I can draw five key observations from those couple of verses, and let me just share them with you quickly. 
Hopefully they're self-evident. You say, yeah, that's right, that's right, that's right. Pastor Mark's right about that. And then ponder them all through the week. We'll certainly talk about them in our cell groups this week. But here's number one, coming out of those verses. We can observe that wisdom, which is spiritual insight. See, wisdom, biblically speaking, is spiritual insight. It's not IQ. It's not answers to test questions. It's spiritual insight. Read the book of Proverbs and see how wisdom is presented there. Wisdom, that is, spiritual insight comes from God, and he loves to give it. God just loves to give it. The book of Proverbs, it says, wisdom calls out from the street corners. Wisdom is just begging you to come and and receive what wisdom can give. So James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God because he gives generously. Now, here's just a couple comments I'd make on that. God's truth cannot be figured out on one's own. None of it can. None of it. My ways are higher than your ways, says the Lord to Job. God's wisdom, his truth, cannot be figured out on your own. God's truth is revealed. Fortunately, we now have a whole book full of it. More than any people in the Old Testament had, more than any people in James' day had. That's why James was writing the letter. He was adding to the book we have, but they were getting it firsthand. They had never heard anything like what James was saying here. God's truth is revealed, not figured out. This is wisdom, God's truth, concerning how to live life in a God-pleasing way. That's what's really smart. That's what being wise, really, from God's point of view is. Knowing how to live in this world in a God-pleasing, God-honoring way. And James says, if you want to know how to do that, ask God. Ask God. He'll show you. He's actually revealed it in his word. Second thing, wisdom provides understanding and stability. If you really got God's wisdom in your mind and heart, your life has a certain kind of a a stableness to it, a strength to it. You're not forever trying to say, what's up, what's up, what's this? No, God has told you the great truths of the universe. He's told you the great truths of, of his own heart. Remember when we studied the red letters of Jesus? Here's some that we can refer to. This was a key, key verse through that whole year last year. Jesus says, everyone who hears my words and puts them into practice will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. See, that that truth, that stability comes from any piece of God's truth that has been revealed and that we have come across. And all of it together just gets a bigger and bigger and stronger and stronger foundation upon which our life is built. And see, that truth includes, it includes what James had shared concerning the trials of life that beset the followers of Christ. That's part of that stabilizing truth. However, observation three, doubt Now, here we introduce it. Doubt questions wisdom. Doubt is that that part of us that says, maybe it's so and maybe it's not. 
Maybe it's so and maybe it's not. Any of you saying that right now? Listening to me and say, well, maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. Some weeks I agree with him, some weeks I don't. Even if he's reading the Bible, I still, uh, you know, it's uh, on again, off again. Doubt does that. Doubt questions God's wisdom. Human doubt was given birth in the Garden of Eden when Satan tempted Eve to think twice about what God had said. God said, you can't. Satan says, think about that. Yeah, God said you can't, but that's the best one. Well, let me think about that. Let me think about that. Satan tempted her to doubt that God's plan was best for her. She yielded, first off, to the temptation to doubt. And then secondly, she yielded to the temptation to disobey. It's always that way. God's wisdom is readily available. Man's acceptance of it is not. However, and here the problem compounds itself. Observation four, doubt frustrates God's desire to give wisdom. James says in 1.8, that person, the doubter, that person should not expect to receive anything. Have you ever thought of that? That there are situations where people might be requesting things from God, and God just says, you're not getting that. You're not getting anything from me. Imagine a prayer like this. Imagine yourself praying this. God, show me what you call truth. And I'll decide whether I agree with it or not. Because right now, I doubt that you really know what you're doing. Do you think you'll get many answers from God? Think God's going to say, let me help you with that. No, James says, if you're doubting like that, you're doubting the goodness of God, you're doubting the wisdom of God, you're doubting the truth of what you read in the Bible, the word of God, James just says, that settles it. That puts like a great big barrier right in front of, of God's generosity. James says, in a sense, the pipeline of truth will be turned off to such a person. Have you ever tried to share your faith with somebody that is just making no sense to them at all? Even trying to counsel a, a professing Christian. They say, oh, I don't get that, I don't get that, I don't understand that. It's like their mind can't even take in what you're saying to them. Well, it's because they're not yielded to that. They have their doubts about whether the Bible really should be followed. They have their doubts about whether you should be listened to. And James says, unless something changes, they're going to stay right there tossed and turned about and receiving no stabilizing truths from God because their whole mind is full of questions and doubts. Our world today, to some degree, encourages questioning and doubting. All the way down to doubting who you are as a person. Doubting whether your parents know anything. Doubting whether this is true or that is true or... Just doubt, question, why that's the way to learn. Question everything. James would say, the way to learn is to quit questioning the stuff you've already been told and that God would say is true.
So in that kind of a situation, doubt always wins the day. And observation five, we just say this, doubt is a condition of mind. Doubt is a condition of mind. You can have a mind that is just doubtful. And it leads to an unsettled life. James says such a person is double-minded and unstable in all he does. You see, the person who doubts is never sure about anything except this. He's sure that he's not sure about anything. Everything is always up for grabs. Now, those five observations this morning lead to three key conclusions that I'm just going to read one by one, and you can ponder these all week long. Here we go, number one. Now, get ready for this. The way to handle spiritual doubt is not by getting answers. I have professors in my past who'd say, Mark, that is the most asinine thing you've ever said. Our whole profession is about finding and giving answers, defending the faith even, explaining to the unbeliever why it only makes sense to accept Christ. And if you make so much sense to them, they'll probably fall on their knees. And they'll just yield themselves. I mean, we spend our whole life, many people spend their life coming up with almost impeccable answers. How do I know there's a God? Well, here, let me tell you. How do I know that Jesus ever lived? Well, let me tell you. How do I know that, that I'm a sinner? Well, let me tell you. Think about this. Think about that. Put together the evidence. Doesn't it make sense to you? I'm saying here the way to handle spiritual doubt is not by getting more answers. Because you see, answers only settle things until a better answer comes along. Or until someone pokes a hole in the answer you found. That's why so many kids go to college and lose their faith. Because they find a a pretty smart guy, maybe a PhD, somebody who's attractive, somebody who's energetic, somebody who's compelling, and they're in their most vulnerable frame of life and time of life, and this guy is making so much sense that he destroys all the answers they learned in their little Sunday school growing up days. See, if their faith is based upon answers, if their commitment is based upon the satisfying answers that they've been given, what do they do when they run into a better answer? Somebody might tell you the better answer is more scientific. Science is settled on this subject. Well, gee whiz, then I can't be believing what I'm believing when science says gives a different answer. How about the human heart? It just gives a different answer. we we got to understand that you are who you think you are or feel like you are. Forget about uh, biology. See, better answers given by smart people can derail a lot of young, influential, or easily influenced believers. And it happens by the thousands. Because they went to college, to a secular institution, fully equipped with all the answers that would protect them.
Answers can never protect. Answers can never get rid of doubt. Because answers can always be attacked. And different answers can come along. And now you have to think yourself through a whole new set of situations. And you might say, well, I certainly don't believe this anymore. What am I going to believe? Conclusion number two. The way to handle spiritual doubt, and I would say the only way to handle spiritual doubt, is by exercising faith. Not getting smarter. Not finding the answer that will put that guy in his place. And it will cause him to say, wow, I never thought about that. The way to handle spiritual doubt is by exercising faith. James says here, verse 6, but when you ask for wisdom, you must believe. You must believe and not doubt because the doubter is like a wave of the sea tossed and blown by the wind. Faith is a commitment. And our third conclusion says this, faith comes by what? Hearing. Faith comes by hearing and believing the Word of God. Faith doesn't come by studying all the books and concluding Christianity makes more sense. Faith doesn't come, see, that isn't faith at all. That's figuring it out. I love this statement. Anybody in my cell group has probably heard me say this two or three times every year. A Christian is not like the guy from Missouri. The guy from Missouri says, I'll believe it when I see it. Or the other way around, when I see it, I'll believe it. And I always say that's, the, that's an absolutely incorrect statement. When he sees it, he will know it. Belief is is holding on to something that is not yet seen and proven and described. When we get to heaven, we won't need any faith. Isn't that wonderful? For any of us who are somewhat lacking in faith and struggle with faith, when you get to heaven, you can throw faith won't even go in the front door. Because it's all knowledge. It's all known. You'll see it. You'll know it. You won't believe it. You won't have to believe it. You'll be experiencing it. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. That means exposing yourself to what God has said. These are the true things. If God said it, it's true. There's other things that, of course, are true, But the things that last for all eternity, the things that are really to build your life upon are the things that God has said and how God has spoken about the things that make up your life. And faith is hearing those things. Some people haven't heard a lot of things that God has said yet. But faith is when you hear it, you believe it and say, I believe that is true because the Bible says so. And behind all those beliefs is the belief that the Bible is God's word.
That's where faith comes from. Faith isn't built up by evidence. Faith is built by accepting the revelation of God. And then you go wherever you go in this world, believing what you believe based upon the word of God, and it doesn't matter how enticing somebody else's idea is. It doesn't matter how much sense it makes to human beings. You can say, well, here's what God says in his word. Here's what God says in his word on that subject, and for me, that settles it. See, faith. And so the people in James' day could say, well, God just told us through James that we ought to count it all joy when we fall into these horrible circumstances because there's a there's an end game here that we can be part of. We cannot learn perseverance any other way than by going through a time that's hard to persevere through. And we do that. We endure. We gain that ability. This is a word from God. We believe it. We will do it. You see, and then... So it's not hearing and evaluating. It's not hearing and comparing. It's not hearing and keeping your options open. It's hearing and believing the word of God. So our final thought says this, faith demolishes doubt. Faith demolishes doubt. And faith is a choice. Choose to believe. Choose to believe the word of God, the truth of God, and doubt will disappear. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. We on this side of Calvary and we 2,000 years down the road who have the completed revelation of God in our hands, there are things we know, there are things you have told your children that we are aware of that some men and women of faith years ago never got to hear, never got to read, never got to know. Their faith had to be in fewer things. And yet, Father, now you've given us truth on so many subjects. You've given your, your truth in so many situations that, that we don't have to wonder what you would desire. We don't have to wonder what is right and what is wrong. You have told us so much. Father, protect us from the human condition of doubting, questioning, all of that. For we ask you this now in Jesus' name. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.